17th chapter of the book of Joshua is our text today, beginning verse 12. From the book of Joshua, chapter 17, beginning verse 12. The last few weeks we've been putting our emphasis on Christian growth, and that's where we will be today again. And this sermon is an hour long. Now, I have an hour spare, but you probably don't. So I'm going to go as far as I can, then I'll quit, or as far as you can. A guy told me one time, he said, you just go ahead and preach, we'll leave when we get ready. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and I'll uh, quit when you do, or when I think you do. My, uh, Joshua chapter 17, verses 12 through 18. Now, I need to say a couple of things before I read the text. One is that, that the Old Testament was written for our admonition or our instruction. As a matter of fact, the New Testament says that the Old Testament, the Scripture, is an ensample or an example for us to follow. I'm getting a ring. Somebody said that, that you get the, the principles of the Christian life in the New Testament and you get the pictures of the Christian life in the Old Testament. And that's why the Old Testament is so important because when you grasp the principles of the Christian life that are in the New Testament, then you can go back and get the pictures of the Christian life from the Old Testament. Now we know that the, the River Jordan is not a picture of physical death and that Canaan is not heaven. Now we get that from the song, you know, On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wistful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. Now that's a great old hymn, but you don't want to get your theology from hymns. Canaan is pictured in the Old Testament concerning the principles of fullness of blessing or fullness of salvation. Canaan represents fullness of blessing and fullness of salvation so that the Israelites were saved from Egyptian bondage but they never went over into fullness of blessing. And Paul picks up this theme when he talks about the fact that you and I can be saved from the bondage of our sin and wander in the wilderness, never entering into fullness of blessing or the fullness of salvation until we step over the Jordan. Now our text, there is nowhere in the Bible that pictures the fullness of blessing of Canaan than the book of Joshua does. Nowhere is it more graphically illustrated or pictured than in the book of Joshua. And our text pictures that. It, 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 it pictures Israel in the land of Canaan, and Joshua is, is parceling out the pieces of land to all the tribes. He is giving to the tribes their inheritance, their lot, their, their portion in the land of Canaan. And a complaint arises between Manasseh and Ephraim and Joshua. They are complaining to Joshua that he doesn't give them their fair shake. He doesn't give them but one lot. And the text picks up on that in verse 12. 
But the sons of Manasseh could not take possession of these cities because the Canaanites persisted in living in that land. And it came about that when the sons of Israel became strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor. They made slaves out of them, but they did not drive them out completely. Then the sons of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given me only one lot and one portion for an inheritance, since I am a numerous people whom the Lord has thus far blessed? I need you to underline that because that's really the heart of what we're going to talk about. The King James has it, Since the Lord has hitherto blessed us, the the Lord thus far has blessed us. And Joshua said to them, If you are a numerous people, if you're so great, go up to the forest and clear a place for yourself. There in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephraim, since the hill country of Ephraim is too narrow for you. And the sons of Joseph said, The hill country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who live in the valley land have chariots of iron, both those who are in Bethshean and its towns, and those who, live, who are in the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, You are a numerous people, you are great people, and have great power. You shall not have one lot only. You're going to get more than this. You're going to grow. But the hill country shall be yours. For though it be a forest, you shall clear it, and to the farthest borders it shall be yours, for you shall drive out the Canaanites, even though they have chariots of iron, and though they are strong. Now the Christian life was meant to be dynamic and not static. The Christian life is not a period, but a process. It is not a post that you drive in the ground somewhere, The Christian life is a tree that is planted that was meant to grow and bear fruit. And so Paul says in Ephesians 4, 14, we were never meant to remain as children, but to grow up in everything in Christ. You remember when it was popular for preachers to preach on the dynamite of the gospel? And they'd quote... Romans 1, 16, For I am not ashamed of the power of God, uh, of the gospel, which is the power of God and salvation. And they'd quote that Greek word dunamis, which, from which we get our word dynamite, and they'd talk about the dynamite of the gospel. Now, I'm not so sure that that's the best illustration of the Christian life. You know what dynamite is, don't you? Dynamite is something that makes a lot of noise stirs up a lot of dust, but just lasts a few minutes. Now, there are a lot of Christians who live that kind of Christian life. Their Christianity is like that. They make a lot of noise and they stir up a lot of dust, but their Christianity lasts just a few minutes. There might be another word that best defines the Christian life rather than the word dynamite. It's another English word from which we... Uh, that we get from the same Greek word dunamis, it's the word dynamo. Now a dynamo is a continuous source of energy and power. And the Christian life is to be an ever-increasing, a continuous process of growth and becoming. 
it is to be a matter of continual growth, the process of growing and becoming. That might be a better word. Now, everybody here who is a Christian has experienced some measure of Christian growth. When we talk about the Christian growth, growing in Christ, we must remember that everybody has experienced some measure of growth. You're not what you used to be if you're a Christian. Now, you may not be what you want to be, and you may not be what you should be as a Christian, but you're not what you was. There is a measure of growth in every person who is a Christian. But the most perplexing and confusing thing in life is that even though we, are, we, we, we begin to grow as a Christian, we come to those times in our life where that growth stops. Now the children of Israel said, there was up to this point the blessing of God upon our life. Up to this point, hitherto the Lord has blessed us. And there is, a, there is some doubt about the future. God has blessed them to this point, but there is some doubt about from now on. And then they asked Joshua this, Why have you not given us the capacity to grow? Why have you not given us the capacity to be enlarged? This place is too narrow. Why haven't you given us the space and the room to grow? Now you may have never vocalized that, but I'm sure that you thought that in your mind and you have asked your Joshua, the Lord Jesus, the same question. Why is it that I'm not growing as a Christian? Why do, not, why do I not have capacity to grow? I've been there, haven't you? Where I've just been growing as a Christian and I've gone to God's Word and God's Word has come alive in my life and my prayer life is meaningful and effective and powerful, and then I've just come to a grinding, screeching halt. And I've asked my Joshua the same question they asked their Joshua. Why is it that I'm not growing as a Christian, have no capacity for growth? And Joshua describes or defines the three reasons we stop growing. I'll just have time to deal with one of them and pick the other two up later. Number one, we stop growing as Christians when we exercise only a partial conquest. Now, if you'll read again verses 12 and 13, it says that Israel made the Canaanites their slaves but did not drive them out completely. It says the same thing in chapter 16, verse 10. And in Judges, which is the next book over, in chapter 21, in chapter 1, verse 27 and 29, he says that they made the Canaanites their forced labor, but they did not drive them out completely. Did not drive them out completely. Now, when God led Israel into the land of Canaan, he gave them some specific and, and particular orders and responsibilities. He told them that they were to drive out the Canaanites utterly and completely and fully. Did they do it? No. They drove part of them out of the land and they made the rest of them their slaves. They exercised only a partial conquest. And so the tribe of Ephraim comes to Joshua and says, 
We don't have enough room. You haven't given us capacity for growth. Of course they didn't have enough room. Half the Canaanites were still living there. Let's suppose that one of your friends says to you tomorrow, We've got a, we need more space. I mean, we, our family's growing. We've got this new baby. got three kids now, and we're just cramped. We don't have enough room in this little old two-bedroom house we live in. Uh, we, we need some more space. And you say to your friend, well, I think I've got just the answer for you. My neighbor over there has a 12-room house, and he's needing to make a little money. He's got some... Uh, some uh, equity built up he'd like to get and he's willing to sell that house for a bargain. I believe you can get that 12 room house for a bargain. Be plenty of room for you. A week later you see your friend you say, well how's it going? Did you check on that house? He says, you bet. He says, we're so excited. We're going to sign the papers today. We're going to move in to finally have enough space, enough room. A 12 room house, that'll be just great. About a month later, you see the same guy, and you say, well, how's it going in your 12-room house? And he's kind of downcast. He said, well, tell you the truth, we need more room. We're just cramped up where we're living. We need more space. You need more space, man. you got 12 bedrooms in that house. Oh, he says, well, you know those folks, that big family that was living in there when we bought that house, they're still living in there. And you say to that person, uh, friend, you don't need more space. You just need to get rid of the folks that are living in the house. That, that You just need to get rid of those folks that were there before you bought the house. That's what Redpath means in his book on Joshua when he says, we need just to live up to capacity. And he says this, and it's true about most of us here, we're always wanting new opportunities and new spheres of growth and development and we're not living up to the capacity where we are. You know when we stop growing? We stop growing when we fail to live up to the capacity that we already possess. The capacity to receive the grace of God and the fullness of His Spirit's blessing upon our life is measured by the character of your obedience and faith. Now I need to say that again. The capacity to receive what God has for you in fullness of blessing in Canaan, the capacity to receive that fullness is measured by the character of your obedience and faith. I heard about a boy who was working his way through college and he was selling magazines to, to folks and he went out to this farmer, lived out there and he had this magazine progressive farmer. We used to get them when I was a kid living on the farm. Now you, you talk about an exciting life. Uh, we, 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 one of the most exciting things that happened in the month was when we got our progressive farmer through the mail. Well, he, he was going to sell this subscription to, to, to the progressive farmer magazine. And the old farmer, you know, kind of put his arms, his hands in his bib, bib overalls, and he said, well, what would I need a magazine like that for? He said, well, because it just has all these new ideas of farming, this new technology that's available to us, that all these new ways of doing things so you can progress as a farmer. And the old farmer said, I don't need no more new ideas. I ain't using the one I got. 
I'm going to try to say something profound this morning, and it's difficult to say something profound. But I want you to catch this because it's fundamental to what I'm trying to say. The condition, the condition for additional revelation is obedience to the present revelation. The condition for additional revelation from God is obedience to the present revelation. We're not using the knowledge we have. I was speaking to the BSU Vespers the other night, and this young, and I talked about in this Vespers service that, that since we no longer are our own and we belong to Jesus Christ, we don't have the right to decide what we're going to do in any matter. And this young gal came up to me after Vespers and said, How do you know what is the will of God in every situation? And I tried to explain to her how I felt, how I found what I believe to be the will of God in any situation that comes along. Then I felt impressed to say this. It just turned on a light. It just rang a bell to her. I said, the reason why some of us are not able to discern what God's will is in certain situations in life is because we're not obedient to what we already know now to be the will of God. And the condition for additional revelation is obedience to the present revelation. Now we want to be progressive Christians and we're, we're not going to be progressive Christians because we're not obedient to what we know to be God's will right now in every way. Now the problem was that they were told to go in and drive the Canaanites out completely, utterly drive them out. They were not obedient to God's will in that matter, in that particular and specific matter. They were not obedient to the will of God. Ron Dunn tells this cute story, and I shared it with a, with a BSU group, and even with a Friday luncheon. If I find something good, I'm going to tell it, and then I'll tell it again, you know, if I get a chance. He said he was preaching this conference out in Denver, Colorado, and he said that this young couple came up to him. They were, they were brand-new Christians. They'd been saved one week. He said they were just on fire. The glory of the Lord was just around them, on them. And he said they, they, they had absolutely no background in the church or in Christianity at all. And they hadn't they didn't, they didn't had time to get messed up. And he said, this, this gal came up to him after the service one night and said, Brother, Brother Dunn, you, you mentioned last night that we ought to be tithers. He said, she said, I never heard of that. And that proves she'd never been in a Baptist church. She said, I've never heard of that. But she said, you know... He said, I did a little quick recollecting, and he said, I, I do remember that I mentioned tithing. He said, I didn't preach on it, but I was in the neighborhood, so I dropped by for a visit. And he, and he said, yeah, I, I think I remember saying something about tithing. She said, well, when we got home last night, my husband and, 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 and I began to talk about tithing and said, we just decided, since it's in the Bible, we wanted to tithe. Well, he said, well, great. Then, then she said, well, what is it? What is tithing? And, and he said, I hate to tell her. You know, he said, I hate to disappoint her, you know. He said, I kind of <clears throat> cleared my throat, <clears> throat> kind of mumbled, you know, over my, over my cough. 
that the tithe means a tenth, and it means that you give the first tenth of your possessions to the Lord. He said, I kind of looked up to expect to see her, you know, this downcast look on her face. He said, she still had that same smile. She still was just radiant with the Lord, and she said, well, great, we're tithers. Absolute, unquestioning obedience to the will of God. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? That I might astound my friends. No, the word of God, the wisdom of God is given to us for obedience. It's like a lamp that you have that shines just a few steps in front of you. And as you take a step or two, it begins to illumine more of the path. And some of us want the whole path to be illuminated before we take a single step. It's absolute, unquestioned obedience to the revelation you have now. My question is this. Has God told you to drive out Canaanites that you've, not ever, you've never driven out? Then don't you expect to grow until you live up to capacity. Now why is it that we exercise only a partial conquest? I want to give you three reasons that I'm through. Because we have a spirit of compromise. Now what they decided to do was this. We'll just compromise. We won't, we're not going to just ignore God's command. He said drive them out. We'll drive out a few and we'll make the rest our slaves. They had a spirit of compromise. Now there's a big, it's a big deal in our time to talk about taking the Bible literally. I mean, I've, I've never, I haven't been to a convention or, a, or an evangelism conference in the last year what somebody didn't get up there and talk about taking the Bible literally and the inerrancy of Scripture. And it's just really a big thing to talk about taking the Bible literally from cover to cover. Let me tell you something. We need to, more than just taking the Bible literally, we need to begin to take the Bible seriously. And if God says to drive out the Canaanites, that's what He means for us to do. I heard this preacher tell that he had this spirit of bitterness in his heart. He, there's one man in his church that offended him. And God began to lay on his heart, you need to go to that man and get things right. And he didn't want to do that. I mean, that's painful. So he said, I started saying, telling God, well, listen, God, I know that I haven't spent enough time in your word, and I'm going to spend more time in your word. I know that I haven't been praying enough, Lord, and I'm going to spend an hour a day in prayer. I'm going to spend more time in prayer. And I know I hadn't witnessed like I ought to, and I'm going to be a greater witness. And God was saying, I want you to go and get this right. He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. Instead of that, let me do this. A spirit of compromise is to, is to try to compromise what God wants us to do or tells us to do with what we want to do. Now what Israel wanted to do was keep a few Canaanites there. What God demanded for them to do was drive them out completely and there is no compromise. Second, there was a spirit of complacency. That's why we only exercise a partial conquest. I mean, they said, we'll do this. We'll, we'll just make them our slaves. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. I mean, God has told me this, and I know this to be the will of God for my life, but, oh, you know, it's no big deal. Does that sound like anybody you know? I can handle this thing. 
You know, I, I, I'll, there are a lot of folks today who are tolerating Canaanites in their life and their excuses. Oh, it's not any big deal anyway. I'm in charge. I'm in control. I can handle this. Uh, some of you are thinking, well, now, you know, God says this and I've heard this all my life, but it's no big issue. Kind of shrug our shoulders. You ever heard anybody say, well, I can take it or leave it? I got a bulletin. That's all anybody can do. I mean, take it or leave it. That's all anybody can do. And I found that the folks who say I can take it or leave it usually choose to take it. They say, well, there's these slaves, but, you know, it's no big deal. They just kind of shrug their shoulders. Let me, let me hear me well. Listen to me carefully. We need to pray this morning for a new sensitivity to sin because if there is anything in your life that is offensive to God, it is a big deal. I know some of us are tolerating those things, you know, in our life that, that we know are offensive to God. And what we've done is we've just kind of shrugged our shoulders and said, oh, well, it doesn't really matter. It does matter. And it is a big deal. And there are some folks that are tolerating some Canaanites in their lives which 10 years ago would have embarrassed you. There's some folks that that have things going on in, them, in their lives that 10 years ago they would have been embarrassed or ashamed of it or, or appalled by it. And now it's just common, everyday stuff. You know why? Because in our spirit of complacency and indifference, we've allowed our standards and our moral values to gradually erode to the point that what used to be to us something very offensive is no longer offensive. What used to be a Canaanite to us, the enemy is now accepted as a part and a way of our life. And we just kind of shrug our shoulders and say, oh, it's no big deal. Jeremiah says there's coming a time when we won't even have the ability to blush. And the ironical thing is, watch this. When Joshua said, you are to drive out those Canaanites. You, did you notice what they said? We can't. For they are strong and have chariots of iron. Now that says to me two things. Let me, let me, I can sense you're with me. Hang in there. It says two things. This morning, if God said to you, I want, I'm going to take that God out of your life that you've put before me, it'd scare you to death, wouldn't it? There's some of us who are so clinging so tightly and have such a hold on the Canaanites of the past. If we knew God was about to, to break our grip on those Canaanites and wrestle them from us, it would scare us to death. The second thing it says to me is this, that some of us have these Canaanites in our life where we call them habits. Habits. Oh, I can take it or leave it. These kind of habits we call them, you couldn't get rid of them if you wanted to. They're so entrenched in your life, they have chariots of iron and they're strong and only by the power and the grace and the deliverance of God will they ever be removed from your life. You couldn't get rid of them if you wanted to. Isn't that a strange, ironical thing? 
Did you catch the irony of that? They said, these fellows are our slaves. And he said, well, get rid of them. He said, we can't. Isn't that ironical? There's a third reason we exercise only a partial conquest, and that is the spirit of covetousness. I can just imagine two Israelites talking one day. And one of them says to the other, I notice you got a couple of Israel, I got a couple of Canaanites living over in your slave house. Didn't God say get rid of them? And the Israelites said, Yeah, he did, but you never know when you're going to need one. I thought I'd keep a couple in my slave house because one of these days they might come in handy. One of these days they might benefit me. Here's a man who says, I'm going to turn my business over to God. I'm going to let God run my business. I'm going to surrender my life and my business to God. But I'm going to keep a couple of Canaanites back here, the old ways of doing things from the past. And if God doesn't make me as successful as I want to be, I'm going to drag these old Canaanites out. The old way of doing things, you never know when you might need one. And here's some young people. A young person says, I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ. I'm going to sell out to God. I'm going to break peer pressure. I'm going to serve the Lord. But I'm going to keep a couple of Canaanites back here. The old ways. And if I'm not as popular with my peers, if I'm not as accepted by the the boys or the girls, I'm going to drag these old Canaanites out. These things that have made me popular in the past and accepted by my peers. I'll just drag them out because you never know when you might need one. And here's a church that says, we're going to do it God's way. We're going to faith it. We're not going to do it the old way. But we'll keep a couple of old Canaanites back here that we've held on to from the past. And if we don't have enough baptisms or if we get ready to make a trip, we don't have the money, we'll drag this old way, this world's way of doing things out because you never know when you might need one. And God says, if you're going to grow, you need to rid the Canaanites from your land utterly and completely. Now the big question this morning is not do you have enough knowledge. There's some of us who have been going to church for all of our life, and I don't know if I've missed that many services in my lifetime. I, I'd hate to try to count up how many sermons I've preached or heard. And the same is true with you. Our problem this morning is not that we don't have enough information. Our problem is we're not living up to capacity. And we're not going to grow until we exercise a total conquest until the Canaanites are gone. Until we are obedient to what we know to be God's will right now. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that we will not be complacent but serious about what we need to be and ought to be about our Christian growth. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to be obedient this morning to your known will for this moment at this point in time because I pray in Jesus' name. Now I'm going to ask you to consider 
God's will in three areas of your life. One, have you ever given your heart and life to Jesus Christ? I'm not asking if you've been baptized or joined the church. The question is, have you ever trusted Jesus and Jesus alone for your salvation? The known will of God is for you to be saved. The known will is for you to trust Jesus and Him alone. You'll never get beyond that. You'll never get beyond that. You have to come there first. Is the known will of God for you to be a part of this church, this fellowship? Then you need to do that today. You'll never get beyond that. Is the known will of God concerning your life have to do with certain areas that are uncommitted and unsurrendered to Him? Would you surrender them to God? You'll never get beyond them. Is there a need for public decision this morning in any way? These, these areas, we invite you to come while we stand. You come.